Well, hello to everyone here at Centre and also online. As you now know, my name is Matt, for those of you who didn't know me, and my wife Lynn and I have been coming to Dural for around the last four years. And actually, we did also spend some time here in the late 90s when Keith Jobbins was the pastor. I have to say to both Gabby and Mary, um, I had a chance to listen to your testimonies online and well done on sharing those journeys. It actually can be quite scary up here, as I know, because my heart is pounding, um, and particularly when you don't do it often, which is why I preferred to hide up back up there on the video. That's, that's my preferred spot. So when Murray asked me if I'd be willing to share my testimony, my first thought was, well, it's actually not that interesting. But I've been reminded a couple of times that God can teach us much through even the most ordinary of things. So we'll see how we go with that. So when I think about how I came to be a Christian, the image that comes to mind is one of fishing. Now, just to be clear, I don't fish. I know nothing about it. And if I'm honest, I think it's actually really boring. But I have this image of a calm, patient fisherman gradually landing the fish that he's been working on for several hours. And I think that reflects how the Lord landed me. He reeled me in over a number of years. I was born in 1961, and my first contact with God was being christened as a baby in the Anglican Church. And I grew up in what you would call an average middle-class home in North Tamara on Sydney's North Shore. Mum and Dad had gone to church in their youth, but they were not Christians. My parents have never really talked that much about their church experiences as young people, and they've never been forthcoming on, the, on those occasions when I asked them for details. I always had the impression that for them, church was more a place for social gatherings than anything else. And certainly nothing that gave rise to a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ. However, two things stood, stand out to me when I think about my childhood and the impact it had for me in coming to believe in Jesus. The first was that while mum and dad were not Bible-believing Christians, they conducted their lives and our household pretty much along the lines of what we might call Christian principles. Work hard, be kind to everyone, take responsibility for your actions, treat people equally, be polite, respect your elders and receive appropriate punishment when you do something wrong, which was often. <laughs> so they had what I call a strong moral code and, if you like, Christian values but without the underlying belief. The second thing that stands out for me is that despite their own lack of belief, they sent me to Sunday school at the local Anglican church. And in the 1960s, parents said they sent their kids to Sunday school, even if they were not regular churchgoers themselves. It was, as they say, the thing to do. I think the only time I remember <coughs> Dad going to church was when my brother was christened. And mum would sometimes go while I was in Sunday school, but mostly I got dropped off at the start and picked up at the end. When I got to the age of about 11 or 12, I told mum and dad that I was a bit bored with Sunday school and I didn't want to go anymore. I didn't know how they were going to react, but to my surprise and delight, they were fine with it. So as a young boy, I was really happy because I got my Sunday mornings back and I was free to do all the things that average 11 and 12 year olds did in those days. What I didn't, didn't appreciate at the time was that the grounding in Sunday school would hold me in good stead in the years to come. I had learnt about the origin of all things, about how God had created everything, about Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, and yes, Jesus Christ as well. But I was not yet a Christian. I had not yet committed myself to Jesus. 
In fact, I wouldn't have even known what that meant, committing myself. It was head knowledge and that was about all. But that knowledge stayed with me, thankfully. And despite not being a Christian, if you had asked me in my teenage years at school how the earth and the universe came to be, I would have said, well, God created it. To me, it's just completely logical. The earth and the universe didn't come out of anything, it didn't come out of nothing, and something can't be created from nothing. So to me, the only logical explanation for the existence of the universe is it being created by someone that sits outside time and space. There must be something that created us and everything around us and caused us to be here. And that something must have already existed beforehand. It can only be God. That to me is just logical. It's the only thing that ever made sense to me. And just a side note on that. <laughs> Later in life, I asked an astronomer, Christian guy, I asked him this question. He, he did a whole presentation. It was really interesting. I said, okay, let's, let's just assume the Big Bang Theory is correct. So where did all the stuff come from that makes up the Big Bang? And he knew what I was getting at. And he said, Matt, in astronomy, we don't even ask the question. And they say we operate on blind faith. I always like to tell people that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. <laughs> so there I was with a bunch of Sunday school knowledge understanding the facts of the Christian faith, if you like, but I wasn't a Christian. So what happened to change that? Well, initially, the Lord blessed me with a handful of school friends who regularly went to church and fellowship at Christ Church Anglican St Ives. And I wanted to be part of what my friends were doing. So from about year 10, every now and then, I would go along to fellowship group for a few weeks and then I would go off and do other things for a bit and then I might go to the fellowship group with the guys again, very on and off. And when I did go... I always got the feeling that there was something that the people at church had that I didn't have. But I never really got it. My previous knowledge helped me to put on a brave face and be part of it, but I wasn't really a part of it. But I was there or thereabouts. The next thing that happened was that the minister at St Ives really reinvigorated the youth ministry and he employed a very evangelistically minded youth minister from the US called Jim. He really worked with the fellowship groups to encourage their friends from high school to come along to various events, fellowship, church, everything. And the impact on the two main high schools in the area, St Ives and Karingai, where I went, was profound. And one by one, all my closest friends became Christians between Year 10 and Year 12. Karingai High School actually became a place where it was not uncommon to see this group of guys at lunchtime publicly gathering for Bible study and prayer as if it was the most natural thing in the world. But I was a holdout. I wasn't going there. I thought it was all a little bit weird. I mean, these guys were my close friends, but I thought they were taking this Christian stuff a bit too far. What changed everything for me was another initiative from Jim called Breakfast Club, or BC for short. Every Thursday, breakfast would be provided before school at the Youth Fellowship Hall at St Ives, and everyone was welcome. If you couldn't get there, because some of us were driving and some weren't by then, someone would come and pick you up and make sure you also got to school. I went along with my friends because I just wanted to be a part of it. But over a period of time, listening to the weekly talks, it finally became obvious to me what was going on and what I had to do. It had taken Lord, the Lord six or seven years, but finally in year 12 for me, the penny dropped. I finally realised that when Jesus died to save sinners, 
Jesus had died for me. I realised that when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, that means that God so loved me, Matt Smith, that he gave his one and only Son, that Matt Smith, who believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. The personal element, the understanding that I wasn't just one amongst a squillion people that God saved in bulk, but that God knew and cared about me as an individual. That was the missing piece of the puzzle for me. All that head knowledge finally made sense. God cares about people as a whole. Yes, don't misunderstand me. But he also knows and cares about each of us as individuals. So at BC, as we regularly did at the end of every BC... We bowed our heads, Jim prayed the prayer for us and asked us to say it as well if we wanted to. And I never had, of course, but I did that morning and we were to raise our hand and let him know that we'd done so. So I did both of those things. I prayed the prayer and raised my hand. So thinking back to that first fishing analogy I gave you, the Lord had finally reeled me in, right? Well, not quite. He'd pulled me into the side of the boat but just as the net came down to finally snag me and bring me aboard, uh, this little fish still swam away for a bit. I do remember the initial euphoria of those days, the first days, realising that I'd been saved, that Jesus cared for me. And look, there were events to go to and enjoy, which I loved, but I still had some of the old mat in me. After the initial excitement settled down, I actually went back to the same pattern of going to church, not going to church, back and forth, back and forth. It was like I had one foot in heaven and one on the earth and I wasn't quite prepared to give up the earth. Actually, looking back now, it seems quite a weird thing to have done. This pattern continued into my second year at uni, but God was still looking after me. My closest friend in those days was and still is a Christian and we used to spend a lot of time together. We were best mates and we played tennis together and without ever, pressure, without ever pressuring me, he managed to keep me in touch with what was happening at church, let me know what events were on and so on. So without me actually being at church, he still managed without any seeming effort to make me feel a part of things. And I'll be forever grateful for that. I can't really tell you what finally changed. It was like I'd known all along what God expected of me. I was just choosing not to listen for whatever reason. But late in my second year at uni, and I, I still don't really know why this happened, I... It would be easy to say that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I, I didn't hear a voice or anything, but this is what happened. I literally stood in the bathroom at home looking in the mirror. And I started asking myself those age-old questions like, why am I here? How did I get here? What is my purpose in life? What on earth am I doing here? And it didn't take me long. I knew the answer. To love God, to serve him take my belief in Jesus and be serious about it. I knew that Jesus was Lord. He just wasn't, still wasn't Lord of my life at that stage, regardless of the commitment I'd made. I decided then and there that enough was enough. The next Sunday I went to church and that was that. I was finally committed to Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. 
So despite putting up my hand at BC in year 12, I always say I became a Christian in my second year at uni. That's when God really took hold of my heart and my life. That's when I knew for sure that Jesus was my Lord and Saviour and that I needed to follow him. The Lord had finally, after all this time, landed the fish. So what does following Jesus really mean for me? Well, as I've said, it means he is my Saviour and my Lord. Now we hear those two words a lot, but what do they really mean for me? Well, firstly, Jesus is my Saviour. This means understanding that I am not and cannot be perfect. And on my own, I cannot go to heaven in my present state. It means understanding that Jesus died for me. I am sinful, saved, yes, but I'm still sinful. God is perfect and I, I can only be a part of his world in heaven if I confess what I have done wrong and ask for forgiveness from him. And that forgiveness comes at a price. Sin needs to be paid for. Jesus is God's only son and he paid that price for me by dying on the cross. He was beaten, he was ridiculed, he was whipped and finally crucified with nails through his hands on a cross of wood. All for me and for you too. Thanks be to God, he was resurrected and he's now in heaven watching over us, watching over me. He shed his blood so that when God looks at me and my sin, Jesus stands in my place and God sees me through Jesus as perfect. I am not perfect, but Jesus is perfect for me. Following Jesus means believing that with all my heart, thanking him for his sacrifice and confessing my sins daily. So that's Jesus my saviour, but what about Jesus my Lord? Making him Lord of my life means understanding that he and he alone is sovereign over my life and acknowledging that as I go through life. But what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus tells me what socks to wear every day. I'm pretty sure he's not too fussed about whether my socks are blue or black. But it does mean that I need to be taking Jesus into account in everything that I do and not putting anything else before him. So the clearest example I have of this is actually how the Lord let me, led me to meet Lynn. So once I'd come back to church in the second year of uni, I was full on into everything, church, Bible studies, events. I was loving being a Christian and finally being a part of the family of God. But one thing in particular was missing. So the hunt for a girlfriend was on <laughs> and on in earnest. Now, I, I did have a couple of girlfriends in this period, one for about six months and one for about six minutes. And that was it. But that didn't stop me trying. And at the time, and guys, you might be able to identify with this, the seven words I dreaded hearing most were, I just want us to be friends. Oh. Anyway, things came to a head at our youth group winter house party. The theme of the weekend was, Jesus is sufficient to meet all our needs. This hit me right between the eyes. I, ha I had to face it. I'd got to the point where I thought I could not do without a girlfriend. I had to face the reality though, that despite me being a Christian, I was putting the need for a girlfriend ahead of my relationship with Jesus. And I had to face the possibility that maybe I would not meet anybody suitable for me. I had to face the possibility that maybe this was not what God wanted for me. If he was truly Lord of my life, I had to deal with that. Maybe I would never have a girlfriend. Maybe I would never get married. 
and maybe that was what God wanted for me and, and for my life. I, re- I still remember agonising over this for some time. But in the end, I remember praying and telling God in all sincerity, in all sincerity that if that was his will for my life, then okay, I would accept that. I accepted finally that Jesus alone was sufficient for all my needs, for all my life if necessary. It was one of the hardest prayers I'd ever prayed, but if he was truly going to be Lord of my life, I had to pray it. So somewhere around this time, I'd found out through someone else that Lynn was quite keen on me, but I was not keen on her, and in fact I told her so. (laughs) Something of which she often reminds me. (laughs) So there I was, not keen on a girl who was keen on me, And having told God I was okay with never having anyone to be a girlfriend or wife forever if necessary. Go figure. So a few weeks later, Lynn went on on an overseas holiday. And guess who missed her so, so terribly? And instead of reverting to the old ways of going, oh, this this is a girl, I did actually pray and ask God to guide me as to whether Lynn was the girl for me. Because I didn't, I didn't know if my mind was playing tricks on me. When she came back from her holiday, I chased her down all over St Ives one night just so I could find out if she still wanted to go out with me. She said she did, and the rest, as they say, is history. I swear God has a sense of humour. I really do. He knew I wanted to meet someone, but he also knew that at that time, meeting someone was taking priority over him being Lord of my life. I had to be prepared to give up what I had so desperately wanted and truly make him Lord of my life in order for him to give me what he actually had prepared for me all along. The public confirmation of my faith happened at the ripe old age of 23 at Christchurch St Ives. <laughs> when uh, when um, kids get confirmed in the Anglican Church, they're usually between about 14 and 16, so I'm pretty sure I was the oldest in the group, at least I felt like it, when I public- publicly declared my faith before the local bishop and the congregation. Now, of course... This isn't a fairy story. We all have our ups and downs, times when we feel close to God and times when we don't, and I'm no different. I even had a crisis of faith a few years ago, which is a story for another time. So, yeah, we have our ups and downs, and I'm still not perfect. But God has always been there for me and been patient with me, no matter how many down times I've had or how many times I've kind of wandered off and done my own thing for a while. Those old habits can be hard to break, even as a Christian of many years. But God has remained, but God has remained faithful to me, despite my lack at times of faithfulness to him. Sorry. And for whatever reason, he's continued to bless me. He's blessed me with a wonderful wife, the best daughter and, son, and son-in-law in the world, who frankly are truly gifts from God to us. I have a wonderful extended family and friends. I go to a great church and I live and work in the best country in the world, especially so at this time in our history. I don't deserve such blessing, but God has provided it nonetheless and I am eternally grateful. And I think I better pray. (laughs) Father God, Thank you for your blessings to us. Thank you that at this precarious time in our history, 
you have placed us in the one country in the world where we really want to be right now. Thank you that no matter what our circumstances, you are our Lord and our Saviour. Thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice, for his dying on the cross and for his resurrection. Thank you that he sits at your right hand even now. And thank you that one day he will come to take us home to be with you. And in his glorious name we say, Amen.